Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome to Time to Talk. I'm Alex Holmes. Let's get into the show. Let's get started. So, first of all, I want to say thank you to everyone who tuned in to the show last week. It was a relaunch. It was on Wild Mental Health Day. It was an incredibly vulnerable thing for me to do, uh, to come back and start these shows again in a completely new way. Um, Especially when I'm reading people's work and utilising people's work to make my point, to make, you know, to land the case. And I think that sometimes I can get in my own head about how informed I should be, how important it is that I'm the work that I'm doing and um and get put a lot of pressure on myself to make sure it's all perfect. And you know what? As the one energy I want to bring to this podcast is that we need to get rid of this pressure, this personal pressure that we put on ourselves to be amazing, to be great, to be all this stuff. But if we can take every opportunity as a learning curve and a learning process, then I think that we can do so much more um, and bring so much more value to our communities to ourselves to our people um and to the ones that we love and care about and you know foster deeper and greater connections so i want to say thank you for joining me on this journey uh waiting for me patiently coming back um and even those of you who are new to the show and are wanting to find something new to hear men speaking about something completely different or a man speaking about something different um i just want to say thank you for being courageous thank you for taking a chance on me um i appreciate you and i'm looking forward to growing the show with you um if you're new to the show welcome this is time to talk i'm alex holmes i'm an author i'm a podcast host i'm a therapist and i work very specifically in the realms of loneliness and men and loneliness and young boys and loneliness and working to create uh avenues for men and boys to articulate the emotions in ways that are not presently done um in society yes there are groups there are active people out there really working with men to support them in this journey of emotional awareness and emotional development um but yeah so i'm working a lot on emotional health um, and emotional well-being of men i wrote a book called time to talk how men think about love belonging and connection and this is where the podcast was spawned um with it within this podcast i want it to be a listener led and a listener um 
focused podcast as well as me speaking about particular elements and areas. So if you want the full unedited conversation with the guests that I have on here, um, there's a segment in within this podcast called Time to Talk with Friends where I share a small part of the conversation that or a longer conversation that I have with guests. Um, but if you want to hear the full unedited version, uh, join me on Supercast. I call that my gated community. And for just £5 a month, you can get the full archive of unedited episodes, uh, peek behind this podcast curtain and looking and listening to uh, the conversations, the full hour long conversation I have with uh, the amazing people that joined me on the show, as well as uh, just watching the videos and, you know, any other things I'm going to add to that as it develops. But for now, five pounds a month, you get more things. Um, so you can, uh, you can listen, it, listen to it on there. Um, but yeah, generally this is a message just to say thank you and, uh, please leave a review and a, a rating on Spotify or anywhere that you listen to podcasts, the best place you listen to podcasts. And, um, I would appreciate that greatly. So last week I spoke about, uh, World Mental Health Day and about whether mental health is a global priority yet. So I want to say shout out to Dr. Sana whose article I used as reference point to the conversation. And um, yeah, they really connected with me online and said that, you know, the the reflections were good and I appreciated them for, you know, actively listening to, <laughs> to the show. That's always very scary and always very vulnerable when you're talking about somebody's work and what they've said. Um, but, you know, I really want to make sure that I bring the right level of intrigue and curiosity and relevance and energy and humor to the podcasts. I don't want it to ever be too serious, but I am talking about serious topics. So um, I just want there to be the right balance and the right level of engagement and connection. Um, but yeah, all that being said, let's get on with the show. Um, and all for people that have listened last week's episode, I have watered the plants since... Um, I know some of you got onto me for not watering this plant. The plant is fine. I moved her into the sunshine. Um, she was really dwelling in the darkness and uh, drooping and just saying, wah, wah, why? Um, so, yeah, I've moved her into sunshine. I move her with the sun as it reaches different parts of my room at different times of the day. So uh, rest assured, she's being watered. Okay, let's get on with the show. Okay, so I, this week, I have been um, doing a lot of reading and a lot of researching um, and just seeing what people are talking about. And I came across a clip on a podcast um, that talked about, that mentioned an article that went viral in August about men being lonely. Now, as I said in the introduction is that I as a therapist and someone who works in mental health and as a writer and author, I have been studying and researching and I'm at the very, very beginnings of this area of work for me. And I um, want to really unpack male loneliness and loneliness in boys and how this affects the way that we interact with other people, what this looks like um, and what it can end up becoming. Um, I know we know that there are rising suicide rates in, in young men 
and um, how much this affects black men, how much this affects queer men, how much this affects working class men, how much this affects um, high powered men, um, uh, what that looks like and just the level to the extent of uh, male loneliness. So it might be that I'm holding this conversation over several episodes, but I'm really passionate about understanding what this loneliness is and what this loneliness looks like um, in men too. Um, but the article that I am looking at is, or that I was uh, made aware of, was an article on Psychology Today called The Rise of Lonely Single Men. Men need to address their deficits to meet healthier relationship expectations. This was written by a psychologist called Greg Matos. Um, and he, it was, you know, it's peer reviewed and all of this stuff, which most articles in psychology today have to be. And um, his key points were that dating opportunities for heterosexual men are diminishing as relationship standards rise. Uh, men represent approximately 62% of dating app users, lowering their chances for matches. And men need to address skills deficits to meet healthier relationship expectations. So we can pause that conversation there um but before we get into that i would like to tell you just a bit more about the time to talk project because that is what the lifeblood of what i'm doing is and so this year i've, re I've really knuckled down and wanted to get to grips with ex the exact kind of work that i wanted to do and the kind of things i want to do outside of my therapeutic practice and stuff it all it all is connected but aside from working as a therapist with clients in that way um i run a company called the time to talk project so this is the where the podcast stems from um birthing the book so putting it all together under this project to really look at how we can move through this experience of masculine loneliness male loneliness loneliness in men right and um, so I aim to focus on this, on tackling this endemic, this epidemic, you know, of, of loneliness um, on a variety of levels. And a lot of the things that I challenge with this is that this conversation, especially with reading um, Dr. Matos's piece, is really focused on um, a very particular kind of man. And it's usually the heterosexual white middle-class man and of late it has been very much to do with millennials um and then we talk about the older men and all this different stuff and and whatnot but we never have this conversation about changing behaviors really we never sit down and think okay so men are lonely because they have these deficits and even in this article there's no explanation as to how we can help men change these deficits grow like challenge and stuff and i always come from these positions of from a compassionate place because i think that you don't know what you don't know until you do not know it right and um if you're conditioned to live blissfully unaware in your own experiences um and everything kind of ends up working out in the way that you're taught how to be a man or how to relate to people or how to engage in that way if it all works out to be fine, quote unquote, um, and you kind of check the markers of manhood, which is, you know, if you are 
heterosexual, getting married, having the kids, having the house, having the money, being successful in that way, doing all of that stuff, building that community around you, well, you, but the idea of you, the idea of the family. Um, it's no surprise that the longevity of these relationships don't last that long, or it's according to and Dr. Natos is a failure to launch anyway, because, you know, we occupy a huge space on the dating apps, but there's less of a pool to kind of um, get or meet relevant matches. I mean, you do meet a relevant match. You are encountering emotional blockages because you can't step into into the space wholeheartedly or authentically. Um, so... I have a vested interest in this area and I focus on the breadth of the male community, the masculine community in a way that I don't see a lot of people doing. Um, I love to empower people. I love to empower people, get them to fight for something rather than against something. I want them to fight for their freedom. I want them to be able to fight for real connection real love real sense of belonging outside um, away from this loneliness like talking to young kids around what trust is around how they navigate um their lives at this stage and what choices they can make to kind of be better more informed uh, more wholehearted young boys right and what that means for men who can be more engaged parents engaged husbands and partners and engaged brothers and siblings and cousins because and engaged colleagues and whatnot because it's not just about how you deliver yourself at home or how you deliver yourself as a father or whatnot we're not going to meet they're not going to hit the mark every single time but we have to be able to be intentionally trying to make this step um, and take this opportunity to be uh, connected and well informed and try and really try um so with one my one big intention with this podcast with the prime time to talk project is to look at the impacts of my book uh, time to talk how men think about love belonging and connection and the key points that come from there like there's six um real man myths in the in the book that are um that are really specific to how a lot of men think and you know it starts off with real men don't doubt themselves as one myth real men are fearless go-getters as another uh, real men don't cry as a big one a lot of people believe this um this stuff real men have no worries about their bodies again real men never fail real men are lone wolves um, and the book is you know really structured around that those areas of the male experience i mean there were so many um myths that I put down when I was working with my editor with the book there were so many myths that I put down but we had to boil it down to six and I was like how do you boil it down to six um so it's uh but so those are the six that we that we left with but by unpacking those elements to really kind of get to the depth and the core of what what loneliness looks like in men and the, you know the, the rates of loneliness in men is really high um, and you know there are articles out there. So outside of uh, Dr. Matos's article, there's a um, 
is an article in the Times by Greg Hurst, a social affairs editor, uh, back in 2019, where he wrote, you know, based on a YouGov poll, found that 18% of men did not have a close friend and 32% had no one they counted as a best friend. And while it says the figures um, were considerably higher for those, um, for women, with 12% of women saying they did not have close friends, 24% saying they lacked a best friend. The online survey weighted to represent uh, the British population found that men were less likely to say say they felt lonely, with 44% of men um, said they were lonely sometimes, often, or all of the time, compared to with 50% of women. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and... What do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Now, when we start to kind of have this conversation around it, um, we, this, is, this is the point of time to talk. It's like... Like I was in a conversation with somebody recently um, and it was like we were having this conversation around talking and around what it means to be talking and this like and this and this stuff and they're like oh but you don't not talk you say you want to talk but you're not talking about stuff and I'm like I, I'm talking about this stuff and being very clear about where I'm at emotionally with this I, I'm always very clear about this but in this situation the person wasn't listening to what I was saying and he was a man but he wasn't listening to what I was saying he was very much like he was looking he was seeking to fix rather than to understand and I think that this is where we start to come up with, with this stuff we start to feel really misunderstood and then we stop the talking because we feel like if we're going to talk and no one understands us anyway then what's the point of us saying how we feel about something um I was watching Married at First Sight. <laughs> Don't judge me. Um, but I'm watching the American one. I've not watched the British one yet. <clears throat> There's a couple on the American one called um, Miguel and Lindy. And while they have their issues and I have my own personal um, um, reflections on these both, on both of these, these are, <laughs> this couple, I have my reflections on certain people. Um, there are, there was a, there was an incident where Miguel was trying to connect and say, look, this is the poetry that I've written. You're going to listen to it. Lindy was like, yeah, babe, let's, let, tell me the poetry. They were on this carriage and there were all these animals around and all this different stuff that was going on. And he was, and, and, and sometimes it's funny because of the way it's edited as well. But he was like, okay, I want to recite this poetry. My wife is, like, interested, so I'm going to just say it. So he's in the middle of this poem. <laughs> Whether the poem was good or bad, I'm not even going to say, but he was in the middle of this poem. And every time he got to a point in the poem, she was like, oh, look, the bunny. Oh, look, the deer. Oh, this is great. Da, da, da. And he was like, okay. So he would try again. And then she would be like, and um, he would say this poetry, he would recite this poetry. And then she would be like, oh, look, look at this bird. Oh, those plants are so beautiful. Da, 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 da. Um, and it just continued that way. And then it was like when he reacted, though, to that, 
when he, because he kind of went into himself. He was like, you know, I'm going to finish this poem, but she's not really into what I'm saying, so I'm just going to leave it. Um, and then later they sat down and there was this plenary and they kind of chatted about the day and how it went on. And you know how these shows go. It's like, you know, it's going to end up being something. And um, she, and then he was like, yeah, but I don't know how I can be, whether it's worth me being vulnerable with you. Because are you even going to listen to what I'm saying in the first place? And um, she was like, what? So I can't like look at the flowers. I can't, I can't appreciate the stuff like while I'm listening to you. And he's like, but no, it's not even about that. I didn't feel listened to. I didn't feel like you were listening to me. And that was one example how like a lot of men kind of show up in these spaces. They don't necessarily feel connected in that. You know, he's a very emotionally mature man. And I think it's so mature, he knows how to word certain things, which can come across quite manipulative in some ways. But um, he was bearing himself in a way that was really trying to showcase the, the depths of him and his vulnerability. And because it's a vulnerable thing, reciting something that you are creating and putting together and sharing that with somebody that you love um, or claim to love or want to kind of become emotionally uh, attached to and deeper. And for that person to dismiss that is quite, or feel as if that person is dis dismissing that is quite um, a, quite a challenging thing to do. It's quite a challenge challenging experience. And I think it's just some of these things when we start to look at... Um, look at uh, these conversations around loneliness. I'm really concerned that we are positioning it as men being completely in the wrong. And don't get me wrong, there are a lot of men out there who aren't actively invested in doing the work. And um, in the end of Dr. Matos's article, he does mention uh, um, like, well, the best ways for people to do this or to be, or to build up the relationship skill sets to go to therapy and this lot. And I'm just like, well, that's not always, a, that's not always an option for a lot of people. It is an option, but it's not always a lot of option. Therapy itself can be quite pricey. It's quite intimidating process. And you shouldn't be, well, unless you are, depending on the context, it's not something I feel that you should really be forced to go into. Um, but there is a, there is something in that. Um, I, I would, but I would have looked at it and I would have thought to myself, okay, so yeah, men need to kind of dig deep and you know find out what these relationship skill set is and what this deficit is and how they can bear themselves to themselves and then also uh, like then kind of approach a conversation that isn't necessarily um, stagnated or stunted or frustrating for the people that they are, you know, hoping. I would like to think, hoping to form and build a life with. Um, but at the same time, what is the conditioning? What is the conditioning? Like, we have to turn the lens around. We have to turn the lens around. What is the, what is the relationship that they've had with their siblings? What is the relationship they've had with their parents? Where have they, where have they come from? We have to look at how their parents and teachers and this experience has kind of showed them who to be and how to be um 
and there was a you know there was some research from the campaign to end loneliness um very sad you know that although women were likely to report feelings of loneliness that did that did not mean that they were more lonely because uh, studies have found that men were unwilling to admit to isolation because of the stigma attached to it um oh you're a lonely man boo-hoo sort of thing and um i listened to a podcast recently another one and they were like you know and they were like a lot of you know the nature of the podcast is quite brash itself when it comes to speaking about men but it was just like which you know in some ways it can it can be disarming um but yeah that's not the energy that i want to bring to this podcast but it's also just very telling about the kind of impact that men who are lonely or men who aren't aware of themselves have on other people and i think that if we are not addressing our loneliness in ways that are conducive to really helping us engage and support people better like lonely men go online and express their anger online because it's an unfiltered unaccountable space where people can just go on twitter create an account and start shouting at people you can go into forums to start shouting at people because culturally you know angry men is not necessarily something that you want to see on a day-to-day it's just something that is kind of reserved for football matches and twitter and i think that when you start when you when you when you when you demonize emotion itself it pushes itself into particular areas of our lives and then it affects how we relate to other people if you say oh don't get angry don't get sad don't cry don't, 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 don't. Even to the point of, oh, don't get too, I mean, I was told don't get too excited because it might not end, it might not end up the way that you expect it to be. I was told that by a, by a man in my life. Like, <laughs> I was told that. I was told not to cry. I was told um, not to be vulnerable. I was told not to get angry. I was told, not, I was told so many different things on the spectrum of emotion. Like, I was told all of these different things. To the point where I'm like, well, what can I do? <laughs> Who can I be? Um, and it's just, and and this is, and this is the, this is the point. It makes you feel lonely because you cannot relate to the people around you. And the definition of loneliness is um, is is interesting. It's um, it's a perceived mismatch between the quality or quantity of social connections that a person has and what they would like to have. I mean, you don't have to be on your own to feel lonely. You might feel lonely in a relationship or while spending time with friends or family, especially if you don't feel understood or cared for by the people around you. But other And some other people might choose to be alone and live happily without much social contact. Um, Loneliness can be characterized by its intensity or how strongly it is felt, which can change from moment to moment and over different durations of time. And I think there's one thing I really want to kind of bring to these these next iterations of episodes and this conversation. I do want to look at what men believe about themselves and when we be- what we believe about ourselves really dictates how we relate to one another because the whole thing the whole purpose of this thing is that we are figuring out how we can be better understood 
and how we can relate better to other people. Yeah. And if the playing field has been set up for generations where men don't need to worry nor care about any of that, then now when we start to think about, oh, um, okay, like, you know, I'm single and I'm looking for somebody and I want to connect with them, but I have none of the resources, none of the skill sets, none of the things that I, that, you know, they require from me. Um, how do I know when someone's going to take advantage of me? How do I know if somebody is, how do I know if I'm setting myself up for failure? Like I'm, I've been told that I can't fail. So how do I know that I've been setting myself up for failure? Am I a good enough man? Am I somebody who people want to be with? These are questions I've asked myself over, over periods of time. Am I somebody that somebody wants to be with? Do I even want to be with myself right now? Do I even like myself, let alone love myself? And, we don't really hear a lot of men talking about this. Um, and I'm happy to be the guy that talks about this stuff because like, why, why else do I love who I am? Do I care enough about myself to be able to then care enough about other people and not in a narcissistic, we're going to get into narcissism at some point in life, but not in a narcissistic way about loving yourself, but loving you like really just appreciating the parts of you that are bad, that are good, not a self-inflated sense of self, but, you know, just generally just loving who you are the same way that you love, um, you love, you know, your parents or you love your friends or you love your siblings or you love your children or you love your partner. Like you love your husband, you love your wife, you know, you love your person, like, or the same way you just in love with life generally like do you love yourself in those areas in those ways what is it that we believe about ourselves that is causing us to remain inward and to remain empty when it comes to searching for who we want to be in this world you know what is it? What is going on? And, uh, you know, um, my whole process is appreciating that for men, for us as men, we need to take an honest look at how we're doing and come to terms with the fact that, you know, we can feel lonely and we can struggle and we do sometimes need companionship and intimacy and help and connection with people. And that is fine. It's absolutely okay. But it's not weak or, or pathetic or a burden on anybody. Because you've got to do the work. You've got to, you've got to look at yourself and think to yourself, okay, cool, what am I lacking? And I think this level of self-awareness and this self-reflection is the one thing that is missing from a lot of men's daily lives. It's this reflection on self to really say, rah, actually, what am I saying and what am I doing that does not align with who I am right now? And in therapy, we call that congruence, right? Is who I am saying who i am being and it's just like is there a line is, is there a misalignment there you know um in my day-to-day -day friendships <laughs> and relationships and whatnot i can be very very sharp-tongued i can be very sarcastic i can be very um self-deprecating i can be like i can be just straight up <laughs> just different right 
But at the same time, I appreciate that that's who I am in particular contexts. But that's also definitely who I am. And I look at stuff and I I know when I'm joking. The people that love me know when I'm joking. They know when I'm um, playing about or they know that this is part of my character and when I'm being playful and whatnot. And it's never, and you know, there was a point in time when it was there to be cruel and it was there to be mean and it was there to, um, and it was utilising this this space to really not this space the podcast space but just where I was is using that space to um punch down and avoid what I needed to deal with internally right and um and I had to go through a process of understanding why why is it that I feel comfortable punching down and when I say punching down I mean you look for humor in the way in in the deficiencies of other people or you look for um the deficiencies of other people to kind of feel better about yourself and i just think that that is something that is that is you know that is not there's something not right with that with regards to men and banter and wanting to feel like they belong and all of these different areas and too many of us have been subject to this level of, I want to say bullying, um, this level of indoctrination as to this is how men communicate. And um, and there are ways for us to restructure, reframe, rethink um, how we how we deal with that. And it all starts with the, it all starts with how we believe ourselves to be, what we believe about ourselves, our, our own personal beliefs about what it means to be us um together and i think about very much like a lot around the first chapter of my book which is talking about self-doubt and self-acceptance um and looking at our inner critic and when our inner critic is the persuasive negative internal voice that so often tries to take over our lives by telling us we're not good enough we're not strong enough, we're manly enough, or anything. We're not sexy enough. We're not good looking enough. We're not confident enough. We're not any of this stuff. And um, the whole process of Time to Talk and the whole process of that is to really try to find a way to restructure and reframe the way we think about ourselves so that we can not bring that into, into a relationship or into... Our, when I, and when I say relationships, I speak, I speak about it on a general term. Like we're not speaking, like I'm not speaking about it just solely on a romantic relationships. I'm speaking about as a friend. I'm speaking about when we're looking for deep and impactful friendships and connections. I'm speaking about as a brother, what I'm like with my siblings, as a cousin, as a as a colleague, as somebody who who has to navigate this world by working with other people. You know, as a mentee and as a mentor, as a student, as a son, you know, like where, like, how do I reframe and restructure how I think about myself so that I can show up and be the best possible version of myself for the world, you know, like, and it's tough, it's tough, it's in the mud, it's in the trenches, you're down dirty, you're beaten up, you know. But like in each of these 
areas on this road to connection and to growth and to understanding who we are and to doing all of that jazz we come out of it the best possible way because we challenge the stuff that's going on with us we look at who we are we don't take ourselves for granted we have a newfound appreciation for who we are and how we step into the world and what we say when we step into the world and who we say we are and whatnot and it's not filled with an oppressive arrogance and ignorance that you see a lot of men on in public facing um platforms talking about because they love to talk about oh i'm this person i'm that person i'm that and, and you know what confidence is fine but confidence when it borders the when it borders ignorance and just straight up arrogance is not conducive to a lot of things but you can be confident in yourself but you don't have to be overwhelming in, in that confidence you know that you can be confident in yourself and say yeah i know that i'm good at this i know that i'm good at that that doesn't detect that doesn't take away from what you're good at that doesn't take away from who you are that doesn't take away from anything if anything my confidence should amplify my confidence should amplify what I see in you and we can be confident together it's not a battle it's not it's not something that I want to fight you on and I think that is something and that is the way that I'm approaching this understanding of loneliness and where men come from and what we're trying to find and what we're looking for and how we're looking for it um, but I'm going to get into beliefs I'm going to get into responsibility I'm going to get into intention and commitment and kindness and all this different stuff as we go through and looking at what that looks like in different contexts with regard to um, male loneliness because it's something that I'm really passionate about and I really want to see and I think it goes further than saying men need to go to therapy I think it goes further than that I think we need to look at the if anything from last episode um, is clear it's, it looks further than just being um, contained in an individualistic sense. It's a social understanding. It's a holistic way of understanding and looking at life. Um, but yeah, I'm done talking. Um, let's take a break. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. All right, let's talk to friends. This segment is time to talk with friends where I speak to somebody who is a good friend of the show and has various uh, amazing insights with regards to the, the area that we talk about and just their own personal journeys, uh, whether it be about their books, their music, their career. Um, I think it's a really interesting area to kind of chat to them about what they've been through and what they're going through and their life um as i said the full unedited conversation will be on the supercast where you can go to time to talk.supercast.com 
This conversation is with Yomi Sode. Uh, and he is an award-winning Nigerian-British writer, and he is the recipient of the 2019 Jerwood Compton Poetry Fellowship, shortlisted for the Bruno International African Poetry Prize. His acclaimed one-man show, Coat, toured nationally to sold-out audiences, including the Brighton Festival, Roundhouse Camden, and the Battersea Arts Centre. In 2020, his libretto, Remnant, uh, written in collaboration with award-winning composer James B. Wilson and performed with Chineke Orchestra, premiered on BBC Radio 3 in 2021. His play, And Breathe, premiered at the Almeida Theatre to rave reviews, and he, like myself, was represented in a legion of amazing Black British male writers in the 2019 essay collection, Safe, 20 Ways to Be a Black Man in Britain Today. I know him, however, as a well-meaning, peaceful and loving member of the Black British creative community. And I want you guys to have this listen to this segment of our conversation. And he's talking about his new book, Mannerism, which came out this looking at mannerism now mm. and um yeah you've we've spoken prior to this and in various forms and you said it's taking you so long to get this together and yeah, yeah. when you announced at the beginning of this episode it did all your accolades and uh, all this stuff yeah. when you announced this book was dropping yeah, yeah. i was like Debut book. Yeah. <laughs> Question mark. What? <laughs> I was thinking this would be second or yeah. third. And I was I was genuinely confused. I started Googling Seriously. thinking, did you what, like Mad. where are the books? Because <laughs> I thought Mad. that you had it. Um what did you want for this book? And um I would love to hear a poem or whichever poem that you feel you want to share with the podcast. But I also just want to know what did you what do you want for this book and how do you want people to see it or what do you want people to feel when they when they engage with it yeah uh, wow man yeah, yeah yeah i think you're not alone a lot of people have been kind of shocked they've been like oh your first your first book it's it's mad but that needed time um prior to this i was i was working in i was doing a lot of stuff with live musicians um it was in music so i have an album i have an ep mm-hmm. And then I branched out into writing my first solo yeah, show. Yeah, you have been around here for a long time. Yeah, <laughs> branched out into doing my first solo show. And even at a point when I'd done the solo show, it was, a, it was a situation where, oh, I could work on a collection of poems now, but I think what was being asked of me was just to work on a solo show first. And in hindsight, I wouldn't change that. I would still stick to what it is because forms of like theatre and stuff, I've incorporated those skills in, in mannerism. That means I haven't written a play, but I've, utilize these skills to have it in here what do i want boy it's such a such a big question um i think i had a moment where i looked around and i was doing a lot of like reading of different things in terms of how do i articulate these experiences of masculinity as a being a black man that type thing how do i articulate it and I just wanted to share experiences that I can just sit with the likes of yourself, some of the man them, and just be like, rah, these references, it's slapping. Uh, you know, it's, it's, I, I, I long for an opportunity to just sit and just kind of get into some of these stories. I'm not trying to kind of change the world, but I do want to start conversations 
Do you know what I mean? I'd, I've never entered anything I've done with like wanting to have solutions. Do you know, but I was always wanting to raise things to people's attention that there's so much that my body stores. There's so much that I would want to unleash, whether it's rage or whatever it is, but that I still feel like I need to hold it in. Mm. And I look around me and I see the permission is given to X, Y, and Z to just be free with their emotions. Whereas I still feel the pressure of just holding it in. And at some point, all of that either implodes or when it does absolutely come out, mm -hmm. it comes out in so late that it's a fit of rage. You know, I have, I have a close friend that is serving a long time in jail. Because at, on a first offence, based on everything that's been, you know, kept in, at the first chance he got to kind of like release that, he's, he's, he's locked up. Mm. And I'm like, how did we get there? How did it get to that point where you didn't necessarily feel safe enough to speak to me as one of your friends? Mm. Or those around you for us to understand what you was going through. Mm. And I hope, you know, this book, it opens the window for some of that to come out. Yeah. Um, and I'm excited at that. And, you know, going back to accolade stuff, I don't, I, I tend to get excited, but internally, but I don't celebrate that excitement okay. outwardly. So it's, it's in the same way that you're going through this kind of process of, the bios and talking on it and reading it the first time, I find myself like, Yoms, be excited. You wrote, like, you wrote this book. It's coming out. Be excited, you know, because in my head, I'm just like, there's still work to do. Mm. But I'm not allowing myself to sit and just be like, and that's what I've been doing recently. I've just been picking up this book and I've just been reading it front to end, like reading it and reading it and being like, yo, that's a sick poem, my guy. Yeah. Well done. Yeah. You know? And it's um it's reigniting, mm. you know, when you read back when you read back this the stuff and you've got some amazing poems in here. Thank um, you. because it's like well for me, when I read back some parts of my book, I don't remember writing it. Yeah. But when I but I know I've written it. Yeah. So I'm always reading it as somebody who doesn't necessarily know the person yeah, yeah, yeah. who who wrote that. And I'm just like, oh, that's very interesting. I know, I but know. It, you know, it's part of you. I, I know we're in convo, but super quick. When you do read back, are there certain parts where you're just like, yo, Alex, is that you? <laughs> do you there mind are, speaking to that there, real there, quick? There, like, there, there, there are some lines. I look at it and I'm just like, did I, like, you look at it and say, where did I, where did I dig that deep from? Like, the the depths of the depths of my longing and my need. <laughs> I was like to share that. I was Yo. like, wow, because there were, there were elements of the book uh, that my parents didn't even know about. Crazy. And my cousins and my friends they were like, this is very like vulnerable. Mm. And I was like, but I've been saying this, so yeah, it's yeah. either yeah. not asked the questions mm. or you've not listened. Or I've not felt that I could do any yeah. of those things. Yeah. But it's when you mentioned about the freedom mm -hmm. and it's 
why I do a lot of the work I do with like as a therapist and then kind of this podcast and in the area that I'm working in now. Yeah. It's understanding that freedom. Yeah. It's understanding that we can do that and it shouldn't have to get to that point mm. of just releasing it to then release it but then the consequences and yeah. the stakes are higher because yeah. you've not or we've not been able or felt able to adequately put it out into the world yeah. and really sit with what we're going through yeah. and kind of you know put that together and um and it's unfortunate that when we look at when we look to a lot of men in society that the ones that end up in those situations are the people that have who, who have don't know what to do with it yeah cuz it's energy and I always think of like Goku or something. <laughs> just when I was younger, I used to just used to watch them just like it's burst the same out. Yeah, burst out in there, in there. Yeah. So, what what poems did you want um, to share? So I wanted to. There's this poem. For black boys, you idolize Mr. Marcus more than their fathers, mm. and I think it's <laughs> it's um. It's an important one for me because I remember distinctly, I remember distinctly a point where like sex is something that me and Amanda talk about, but we don't talk about. about. And, and the whole thought process of like intimacy and hmm, the conversations are more around, ah, I met, such and such, even from like secondary school days, instead of like, oh, what did she come to the yard? Blah blah blah. blah. Yeah, man. Oh, you done your thing? Yeah. But that's as far as the conversation goes. Do you know what I mean? Like, and and just the whole idea of like, if you one was to even discuss like condom sizes, for example, it's like, bro, bro why are you asking about condom sizes for? What's 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 wrong with you? Do you know what I mean? Like it's almost like, oh. If you dare to ask, well, what size do you use type thing? Like, it's straight. No, we don't. Mm. That's not a conversation we talk about. And I'm just like, so where do you go for that learning? If it's not if it's not from the core group in which that you should be having these conversations from. And Mr. Marcus is a porn star. And to some degree for a generation of black men, this was the template. This was the go-to when these kind of conversations I felt couldn't necessarily be um, had. And I feel like Mr. Marcus was almost, again, for some generations of black men, the most kind of prominent guy mm. in, the, in the whole template of what masculinity is, where their fathers wasn't around. So which also means there's the, the whole nuance of how they approach sex, intimacy, blah, 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 was kind of chiseled around this which kind of fed into conversations okay for black for black boys you idolize mr marcus more than their fathers black boys that watched mr marcus having sex in his birthday suit wearing tims and a baseball cap iconic black boys that understood intimacy through vhs tapes dvds land wire and word of mouth black boys with questions regarding their bodies who were too embarrassed to ask what to do when a heart beats fast and blood rush to their penises? Black boys never voicing their queries. 
black boys with questions about masturbation, making themselves a bad taste in Mandem's mouth, something rancid, something other than a boy that's ready. Boy is not men, boy is not Mr. Marcus, whose physique speaks before his mouth opens. Mr. Marcus, who when he edges, tightens his ass until he arrives, a rite of passage met through time. The moments boys young selves die that shedding, that low slow grunt of mourning, and excel as deep as Mr. Marcus's. Black boys fast tracked into manhood, hands on the steering wheel, foot on the accelerator with instructions to keep on straight, their heads barely reaching over the dashboard, the world looking on as a crash into everything in sight, police, teachers, parents, lovers, black boys who held confessions like unguarded candles to their flammable bodies. Black boys who idolised Mr. Marcus, a porn star who raised a generation more than some fathers did. He was there at a button's click, could be paused at night and still be found there in the morning. He was present, gathering dust as we aged, as we watched him. Under this moon's gaze, we watched him, this shooting star. Black boys who took notes when clinics felt too awkward to go into for advice. When sex education in school didn't do enough to educate on sex. Black boys nervously laughed putting condoms on bananas, black boys misguided, black boys taking matters into their own hands, black boys chirping on road or after a rave, black boys boasting they beat, they fucked, they banged, yet never spoke about kissing, touching, hugging, foreplay, black boys that never talked, never knew how to deal with broken hearts, black boys born in sadness, rejection, angst into rage, black boys violent, black boys frightened, black boys never sharing fears about sex, about loss, about whether they were ready, Oh, black boys, the world assumes you to be ready. Oh, black boys, how fucked up it is to think that your idolization of Mr. Marcus, the absence of some fathers, these ways of living, that all of this was normal. Wow. <laughs> so much said in between <laughs> the silence of those conversations, right? Proper. And... um Never had those conversations at school. At all. Never. Like if you consider like, like, like yeah, even with your like friendship groups, whether specifically just like black men specifically, yeah, yeah. did you, do you recall having, yeah, like you were saying, like any of that, any of those kind of conversations? One, one person, one guy who talked a lot, mm. he mentioned like, he was the first one to get a girlfriend and yeah, he was yeah. the first one to do all this stuff and he would then boast about all of that. Mm. But there was never a conversation about were you nervous? What was yeah. that like? Like, you know, how do you initiate that? Like, it was just this thing that should be known and should be and always should be done to somebody else. Yeah. Um, and that was a real disconcerting, cause disconcerting thing because, like, the majority of the guys in my year were very much just like, yeah, like, mm -hmm. you know when these things happen, they happen sort of mm. thing. But there's one guy who just had to be, who had to say all yeah. of this stuff. Um, never discussed porn. Mm. Never discussed it. Like there was just so much we just didn't, didn't talk about, which is why it was kind of easy, like, in my, on reflection, which is why it's kind of easy for me to leave school with not many friends. Yeah. Because I didn't feel connected to anybody anyway. Mm. Which is a very, which is something that I've had to work through quite a bit. And the, the more <laughs> I think on it, the more I'm, I'm like, what would have happened if the space was there for those conversations to be had? Mm. Less about who you done X with, but more about what 
what does the preparation for that look like? Even if it's not for now, um, what is it? Yeah, how to be ready for this in the future? And I don't think there was any space where there was a comfortable point where that conversation could just happen mm. without the anxiety or the fear of being kind of looked at as though that, like, you're into men. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Which is a different kind of anxiety. Like to be like the idea that, oh, would you, well, how are you going to talk to me about masturbation? Like, why are you talking? We we only we don't talk about that. Do you know what I mean? Without being seen to be like into men. Like I do, I don't know how else to kind of yeah. broach that. And that kind of anxiety, right? Yes, yeah, that fear of that f- mad assumption. Fear. Even if you are, or yeah. not, like you try to hide that in a way. So it's it's just very strange. It's a performance, as I keep as I've always said yeah. it's a performance yeah and all you want to do is just strip that kind of performance and being like right it's not like we're not friends for that like x amount of different x amount of years don't get me wrong there are men that have the and the joke is there's something when it pertains to black men specifically in these conversations mm. like I've, I've i've watched many i've been to many raves where i've seen white boys at the end of the rave it Kissing each other on the lips because they're drunk as hell, like mm. slapping each other's ass. They did the most wild behavior type thing. But let me now try go kiss my brethren on the lips or whatever it is in a drunken behavior. You might just be thinking, bro, what the? Mm. But I'm just like, so I think there's something really like interesting in that, yeah. in that conversation to be had to kind of unearth what that uncomfortability might be. The elements of freedom and the spectrum of sexuality, 100%. especially, it's just never, never considered 100%. around. Uh, in black masculinity conversations. Oh man, like, guys, you're gonna enjoy this book. I don't know why, you know what I mean? Like, why is it, like his debut book, his debut book. Um, all right, I've got one final question and we're yeah, gonna have yeah. to wrap up because of time. And like, you know, I could sit here for like Yo, three hours. It's gone quick. I'm, I'm comfy, I'm all up. Socks took off, took off my shoes, all sorts. I'm 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 chilling. I'm like, oh, right. and the glasses match your hair. Yo, and yo, like, yo, what is Do you know what it is? Also, like, super before your last question, like, I think I made a conscious decision to grow my hair there. All right, guys, thank you so much for joining me on the show this week. Um, there are no questions for this week. There will be questions next week. Um, but if you want to hear more of that conversation, we talk about, there's so much we talk about. Um, I talk about my white ancestor that contacted me during the pandemic. <laughs> talk about Yomi getting in touch with his dad after a period of estrangement. Talk about Yomi's experience coming to the the UK when he was younger and what that experience was like, learning English getting into writing, why he starts writing, his experience as a father, we get into loads of different stuff. So if you want to hear the full unedited episode um, and the full unedited conversation, head over to timetotalk.supercast.com and subscribe, $5 a month, and you can get access to the full conversation. Um, It's a really, really fulfilling convo. um, And it's really funny as well. So... Uh, I would say jump on that if you want to hear. Um, if you want to submit a question, uh, the form is in the show notes and you can submit that in there. Um, and I look forward to 
reading your questions and going through it to answer them. Uh, but before we end, I'm going to finish with a note to self. This note to self comes from page 51 of my book. Time to talk how men think about love, belonging and connection. And um, yeah, I wrote this on the last page. Actually, let me just read the last bit. Acceptance over comparison. My friend Alan, a 36-year-old from London, he used to regularly self-harm. I would meet him for a coffee and his arms would be all scarred. When I broached the subject, a look of shame would come across his face. He felt he was letting people down because he wasn't where he felt he should be as a man. He was still living at home, working in a job he didn't want to be in, and he hadn't found any guiding light or passion in life. When I asked him, what are the things you love about yourself? He simply answered, I don't. And it followed that he didn't feel that anyone else could really love and accept him either. His inner critic, in this case, one formed by having been heavily criticized and emotionally neglected as he grew up, was doing quite some job at making him feel worthless. This friend and I fell out of regular contact after a while, but when I saw him about a year later, he was in a good space. He had moved jobs, he was working on more enjoyable projects, and was much happier in himself. He admitted that he still struggled at times, but that he now knew this was okay and normal for many, so there was no need to punish himself for it. The key for him had been learning to accept where he was in life, instead of obsessively worrying about it, comparing himself to other guys, or beating himself up about it. This willingness to just accept himself, wild thoughts and all, had created space and energy for him to start to make the changes he wanted to make in life. Note to self. How I navigate the world starts with how I think about and speak to myself today, tomorrow and the next day. And that is the end of the show. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Make sure that if you want to contact me, just head over to alexholmes.co and connect with me in any way, shape, or form through there. Um, if you want to hear the full unedited version of the episode and the interview, head over to timetotalk.supercast.com and... If you wanted to submit a question, please throw it into the Google form in the show notes. I look forward to catching you all next week. And again, it's a huge pleasure to be here with you each week and for you to listen. And I appreciate you all. I look forward to exploring belonging next week. Talk soon.